We are here to feel your Rockets news. It's the Rockets Fuel Podcast. And of course, I'm your co-host, Lashar Binkley. You can always find me on Twitter at Binkley Hoops. You can find my written work over at SB Nation or The Dream Shake. And before we introduce our special guest, I'm going to give my co-host a chance to introduce himself. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's Vader. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram uh, for Rockets-related news. Um, also, a little bit of Texans, a little bit of Astros at uh, Vader underscore H-Town. All right, man. As you see, we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, we are joined by Nate Griffin of Fox 26 is here to uh, give us his wisdom and his knowledge. He has been <laughs> a long-time Houston sports broadcaster. And it's always good to have people on here. Um, that's closer to our age. That's a good thing. And also <laughs> that has been around a lot of the Houston uh, ups and downs, you know, a lot of downs, as we know here, living in Houston for a long time. But it's always good to have somebody like Nate on, and I appreciate him coming on the show. So definitely thank you for joining us today, Nate. I'm certainly glad you could readjust your times. You know, the earlier <laughs> time, that weren't going to work out too well. You had a late night. But I tell yeah. you, well, always great to be on and honored that you guys would ask me to come on with you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And before we get in, of course, to the Rockets' big win last night in their offseason, I want to talk, you know, a little bit with you about your background and your history. If I'm not mistaken, you've been broadcasting Houston sports in different formats or different media since, what, 1989? Uh, did you start off for like with 740? Can you just tell a little bit about your background? My um, internship, your sure. My internship actually started at KTSU 9.9. KTSU, okay. that's where it started with the late Judith Tillman. Uh, and uh, she was she was tremendous and a, a great influence in my life. She was married to the great Fred Hickman of CNN. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember Fred Absolutely. Hickman. Fred, yes. The late, great Fred Hickman, by the way. And it kind of catapulted from there. Uh, someone helped me to get an internship at Channel 2, which at the time had a radio station, KPRC. So I actually had two internships, so KPRC and KTSU, and it got me over to KTRH. We're gonna make this short. Uh, did a, a number of jobs at uh, KTRH, spent five years there, got there and, and did a number of jobs at KTRH, including jobs outside of KTRH, went to television finally. I had internships at 13, 11, and 2, so I certainly paid my dues, and then went to a small market, uh, television market, if you will, and was there for a couple of years, finally came back up here, got in a, uh, sports radio, uh, sports radio 610, uh, and, and a few others. And uh, finally, it took off from there. And so here we are today. Kind of gives you an idea of where I've been. I've done uh, national, uh, regional, and uh, local football. I've done pro football, college football, high school football. Done it all, man. Uh, so I've, I've paid my dues in every respect. I've written. Uh, I've done radio. I've done TV. I've done it all and in yeah. every aspect that you can imagine. Yeah, you're doing podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. You could also put that on the resume to the podcast, too. Yeah, you do a podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, absolutely. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, I definitely want to ask you a little bit about also just how different is the Houston sports landscape change over the decades? I mean, I say you've been around a long time. You saw a lot of really good teams, a lot of really bad teams and great players and not so good players. But how has it changed since, you know, when you first started covering sports up until now? Well, when I first started going back to 1989, the Houston Oilers were just really kind of coming out of the lovely blue era. Yeah. And they were moving into the Warren Moon era. And so Warren Moon was the man. At that particular point in time, and you had Ernest Givens, you had Spencer Tillman, oh, yeah. you had uh, Lorenzo White, you had Alan Pinkett, you had a lot of Sean Jones, you had a lot of great players, Haywood Jeffries. I could just go on and on and on with players, Fred, uh, Ray Childress, a lot of great players with that Houston Oilers team, and, and those guys, Bubba McDowell, Chris Dishman, Richard Johnson, so many great players. And at the time, you had different coaches. You had Jack Pardee. You had many different coaches with, with yeah. the Houston Oilers team that, that I can remember and who I covered as well. And so when you look at the Houston media landscape, the way we cover teams at that time is not the way they cover teams now. Yeah. We had access to players. It was a lot more free. Uh, we had access to coaches. In fact, I used to do a show, uh, a mini show, about a three-minute show uh, called Coach's Corner on KTRH with Jack Party. I was just walk in his office. I knock on the door. Coach, can I come in and, you know, we record the segment. Yeah. That does not happen now. And kind of kind of moving forward to 2007, I actually worked with the Houston Texans. 
And I did a similar thing, except we did it on their media platform, Texas TV. And I would have to arrange a point, uh, an appointment with Gary. So, you know, it, it, it was very, very different uh, then as it is now. And even fast forwarding to now, you almost have to um, ask a week in advance if you can get an interview with the head coach, you might be able to get it. You might not be able to get it. Same with yeah. the, the Rockets at that Absolutely. particular time from 1989 to 1992. Don Chaney, uh, head coach, you know, and then all of a sudden Rudy Tomjanovich comes in and he's the head coach and wins a couple of championships. I covered both those championships in 94, 95. Dream, Kenny Smith, Clyde Drexler, Otis Thorpe the year before, Clyde Drexler. You had a lot of great players that came in there. Sam Cassell was part of that team. So many great players were part of that team. Vernon Maxwell, I'm sure you guys remember him, Absolutely. you know, going up against Michael Jordan and those great battles. Well, at that time, Lashar and Vader, you guys might have been able to sit courtside. I sat courtside next to Gene Peterson and Jim Foley. Oh, yeah. Who were actually doing the play-by-play and the color. You know, so – we could see what was going on on the floor, and you could see Otis Thorpe telling Akeem where to line up during certain plays. This was the oh, entire wow. season. He was telling him where to go on certain plays for defense, and, oh, and, wow. and and he was like a point forward for Dream. You could see these things. You could see Kenny. You could see Vernon setting up the plays in their minds. Robert Ory knocking down threes from everywhere on the court. There were so many great things that we could experience as members of the media with yeah. those great teams. Astros, when they went on strike in 1994, Jeff Bagwell, NFL, he was, he was uh, ML, say MLB Rookie of the Year that year, 1994, yeah. if I remember correctly. So, yeah, a lot of things happened. Man, my year. Yeah, 94, that was the strike year. So a lot of things happened in those early years that we could talk about forever. And I can tell you that today's day, in terms of cover, uh, sports teams, a little different, uh, yeah. you know, and then Dusty comes in here. He's old school and he wins, you know, World Series. So a lot of great things are happening now. But, yeah, it was definitely different in that day uh, versus now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we can talk about I can honestly talk about, you know, old school Houston sports all the entire yeah. show. There's just yeah. so much to talk about back in the day. Yeah. We had, we've had Mario Elliott on the show before. And just talking oh, to man. Him about, uh, yeah, about some of the experience that he had back then and kind of I never actually heard that about Otis Thorpe and Akeem Olajuwon. So that's that's really interesting. Oh, you know, Otis Thorpe is a great yeah. one. He's a great yeah. one. I mean, he was he was, you know, if 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 you if you matched him up against Carl Malone, that was the matchup that you wanted to see. You wanted yeah. to see Otis Thorpe going up against Carl Malone because it was strength against strength. And no one talks about, you know, those matchups, Otis Thorpe and Carl Malone. But yeah. that was the matchup. Those were two of the best power forwards in the league at that particular point in time. And Carl Malone would probably tell you one of the toughest power forwards that he had to go up defensively or offensively was Otis Thorpe. Absolutely. He doesn't, definitely doesn't get his due, you know, no. considering he was part of that Clyde Drexler trade. Some right. people kind of just forget he was even on that 94 that team. Right. But, yeah, they don't win a championship without Otis Thorpe in 94. Correct. Uh, that's that's for sure. And uh, one more thing I want to get into before we actually get into the current Rockets is something just kind of popped in my head. I want to ask you about since you were really covering the team back then. Can you just tell everybody how close Akeem Olajuwon was to actually leaving the Rockets? Um, I don't think a lot of people kind of remember that, that whole thing between the Rockets and Akeem and how he almost left the team before they even got those two championships Um you know, right right around the time that they were hiring Rudy T. Can you just let everybody know kind of the situation, how close he was to being, you know, a former Houston Rocket at that time? Well, Don Chaney, as you well know, was let go after a 52-win yeah. season. I <laughs> coach say. of the year, yeah. Yeah, coach of the year. And, and you know, if, if you remember Hakeem Olajuwon, the one thing you know about Hakeem Olajuwon is that he is uh, very, very faithful yeah. to guys who help him along the way very loyal that is that is his background and he didn't particularly like that and yeah. so as a result of that and and Rudy Tomjanovich who was an assistant to Don Chaney at the time coming on as the head coach that was a lot of the whole story and 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 people you know don't talk about that as much today but that was it but as Lord would have it Rudy Tomjanovich because of his nature Tremendous, tremendous person, 
yeah. tremendous, tremendous coach, was able to help convince Dream to stay with the team. And I gotta tell you, if you if you sat down, I had the again going back to that day and time. You didn't have the opportunity to sit after um, coaches had got done with post game interviews and have with them. I would always stick around with Don Chaney. And when Rudy became the head coach, and I got to be honest with you, I love Rudy today. I love I, I love them then, and I love them today. But I got to be honest with you, I wasn't very happy about that either. Yeah. Because here you had a coach who was coach of the year, and I love Don Chaney. We all know what Don Chaney did at the University of Houston. We all know how great he was, one of the greatest players ever from the University of Houston. I admired Don from his days with the University of Houston. Then he goes to the Boston Celtics and becomes – one of the great players in Boston Celtics lore as well. Yeah. And then he becomes a head coach of the Houston Rockets. This was a great guy. Nobody wanted to see that. Everyone kind of thought that it was a it was a a terrible uh a terrible firing by the Houston huh. Rockets at the time. So yeah, that was part of it. Big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I can talk about, you know, old old school Houston sports all day, but yeah. I, I definitely want to get your opinion on the current Rockets. Of course, you've watched a lot of summer league games and you've seen a lot of great summer league players that didn't necessarily pan out when they actually came to uh, playing in the real regular season. But I want to kind of just get your opinion off the bat on, you know, what you saw last night from the young Rockets. Of course, Jabari Smith hit the game winner and finished with 33 points after a rough first half. And even though Armin Thompson went out with an injury, ankle injury, and probably not playing the rest of yeah. the summer league, he had a, a great overall game. He kind of just stuffed the stat sheet in every single category. But So what did you kind of just see from uh, watching him last night, and what do you just thought of the rookies like uh, Ahmed Thompson and Cam Whitmore? Well, based on what I saw, uh, you know, and I'll be honest with you, I saw – I didn't see all, the whole game, and I saw a little bit of, of the highlights. But I will tell you that I think this is going to be a very, very talented Rockets team. I think they're going to be a lot more defensive-minded yeah. because that's the kind of coach you have. Emi Adoka you know, specializes in defense. If you're going to play basketball for him, you better be able to play defense. And so what I saw last night, I saw a little bit of that, but most importantly, you saw guys who were energized and who were really ready to play. I think that this team is going to be a lot different from last year's team. First of all, you can see the leadership already kind of stepping to the forefront. And that may be what they didn't have last year. A lot of things we've seen here lately with social media, we're not real happy about. But I yeah. think the M.A., because of his leadership, and we know what he did at Boston, he had a very veteran-like uh, team uh, while he was the head coach of Boston. and still that way because the guys were up there. But I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see more leadership. Uh, you know, you talked about the rookies last night, and it was great to see the game winner at the very end. Those are the kinds of things that we're going to really need to see because what that does is build confidence. But, again, leadership one. Defense to M.A. Doka three. And I'll be honest with you, I, I wanted to see Sam Cassell come in here as a head coach. <laughs> yeah. But I think M.A. Doka, because of what he brings, I think that, you know, everyone sort of understands the caliber of, of coach that he is and the champion upset that he's team. I think that's why the Rockets hired him. And I think that's the beginning of what we're going to see for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I kind of actually want to go a little bit back before that and just get your opinion on what we saw the last three previous years. And we saw with Coach Silas what he had to kind of deal with, you know, the last few years, not exactly a lineup where he's going to be able to win a lot of games. But what was kind of just your overall thoughts on the last few seasons and, and what kind of Coach Silas had to deal with, um, you know, starting off with thinking he's going to be coaching two future Hall of Famers and then coaching one of the youngest teams in the league? Didn't help that you didn't have a James Harden. Yeah. Didn't help out there now, you know, Los Angeles, you know, Russell Westbrook. It doesn't help when you don't have those two guys on your squad. You know, all of a sudden you have what you regard to be a rookie team. And you got a lot of young guys. Young guys don't understand how to fill their roles. That's why you have to have veterans on the squad to help them understand. Even in the broadcast, broadcast business, you have to have older guys in positions who can help to mentor the younger guys and tell them, look, this is what you need to do. When they see you making a mistake, they can tell you, hey, young fella, 
you need to kind of change the way you're doing that. Yeah. And if you change it and you go in this direction, you'll have a lot more success because I step in that pothole. No sense in you stepping in that pothole. Yeah. Well, the Rockets didn't have that. Even Silas as a head coach. Who was the guy on that squad who could tell these guys not to do? So obviously the veterans are like, man, I don't want to deal with these guys. I don't want to deal with these young guys. I want to get out of here. I want to go to another squad where I can win a championship. I don't want to be the guy that have to tell them what to do on the floor during the course of the game because I have enough to do myself with the guy I have to defend. Plus, I'm trying to score 35 points, 10 assists, or what have you. You know, a 10 rebound. I'm trying to fill my own stat sheet so I can get a bit of a bigger paycheck. So no, I don't have time for all that. So that's what Steven Silas was dealing with. And you have to give him credit because he maintained his composure and class the entire time he was the head coach of Houston Rockets and having Paul Silas as his dad to sort of teach him. Well, this is a this is an NBA family, the late great Paul Silas, I might add. This was an NBA family. You know, so you got a guy who understands that. And I think the Rockets understood that. I think Tillman Petito understood what he had. You know, Rafael Stone, you know, he understood what he had. But now this is his legacy. This is Rafael's legacy, right? To rebuild. And in order to do that, he had to bring in a coach who understood you're going to have a young team. But what we're going to do, we're going to have also a nucleus of veteran players around this young team more than one who can help that one or two. Hey, three or four of us can talk to the team during practices, after practices, while we're off the court so that they understand what they need to do off the court as well as on the court. Preseason, postseason, all those things. We're going to need that. And so I think that's where the Rockets are now. That's what they did not have then. And because of that, Stephen Silas ended up losing his job. And he didn't have the experience, I don't believe, nor the players to help him to coach those guys. John Lucas, wonderful guy. We know he's a Hall of Famer. He's the, the greatest. But you've got to have guys around those players who can influence them. And who better than, you know, your colleagues, your peers, those players, those older guys who can have, that they respect, who can come in and actually help them and teach them the right way. That's one of the things I was trying to get uh, people to understand. We gave up a lot of uh, young guys, uh, but you can't have like, a, like you were saying, you cannot have a team fully comprised of nothing but young talent. You got, you have to have those veterans on the team. And so um, while people were like complaining about the contract situations and, you know, us moving off of some guys and, and maybe not getting, you know, supreme value back. I, I was like, the the main guys, the main young guys that they really want to build the team around are still here. The Jalen Greens, the Alperen Goon, uh, Jabari Smith Jr., Amon Thompson, Cam Whitmore. You know, Tari Eason. So these are the guys that they're focusing on. And and what better way to help those guys and empower those guys to reach their full potential? You by bringing in guys who, can, like you said, can show them the way to let them know, hey, young fella, you're doing that wrong. You know, if you do this. You know, you're going to have more success. Uh, you know what I mean? So, like, I think it's not the Fred Van Vliet uh, uh, contract, him coming here. I, I saw him at the Summer League game yesterday, and I saw a few of the other guys. And I just have to wonder, you know, like, if we would have signed, you know, somebody else to that contract, would they have – I know guys go to Vegas, and, um, you know, but, you know, we've had a, we've had people here before who – you know, it was off season. You don't see them anymore. You know, they're out kind of like living their own, you know, living their own lives and they're entitled to do that. But I love the fact that Fred Van Vliet was there. Um, and then I love the fact that I also saw like Jalen Green there uh, with him. And he, he and Jalen Green have been kind of attached at the hip as far as working out. I saw Kevin Porter Jr. there. I saw Shangoon there. So I think they're already laying a foundation of, um, you know, building a camaraderie and a, and a unity on this team that maybe. Uh, we didn't have enough of before. And so, like, I, I, I completely 100% agree with everything you said. Yeah, I, I and and let me not leave out John Wall. You know, he had the $44 million contract. Remember that? Yes. And, and, <laughs> and didn't play. And now he's with another squad. I thought that he was going to be maybe a catalyst for this team. But we found out that wasn't going to happen. Found out as well. Can't really blame I mean, when when you look at the makeup of the squad. So, yeah, I think now they're where they need to be. 
uh, Fred Van Fleet has an excellent opportunity to run this squad. An excellent opportunity. But my, you know, what what greater opportunity would he have had in Toronto? No. This, this is the opportunity. They went and got the right guy. And I know his uh, his value increased the minute that we found out that a couple of other teams were interested. Mm-hmm. But what did the Rockets do? They stepped it up. They said, uh, hey, man, you, uh, you, you think you might be interested in coming to the Rockets? <laughs> and what did they do? They signed up to a very, very wealthy three-year deal. So, so yeah, that that that's what you got to do. You want a leader, not too old. That's the other thing. Players respect a guy who can play. Yeah, you know, and that's you. You got to have a guy on the squad who can play. They'll listen to you. So, yeah, I think the Jalen Grains, the Kevin Porter's mama, Kevin Porter has a chance to really be a great player too. He just needed somebody to come in here who understands the game like a Fred Van Fleet and lead it. Not necessarily his position. They have somebody to do that. But I think in terms of being a floor general, telling him and instructing him on what to do and helping him to become a great player, yeah, that's that's where they need to be. And you know what? Another another sneaky signing that kind of went under the radar is bringing back Jeff Green. I don't oh, know how... that, that's what I'm talking about, Jeff Green. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know how much he's going to play, but I know he can still play. We just saw him win a championship with Denver. And I saw uh, there was a clip floating around. I don't know if you saw it, but it was during the finals. And uh, he pulled uh, Aaron Gordon to the side. And he was like, hey, you know, do this, do this. You know what I mean? And and I was like, when that happened, I had I had tweeted out, you know, this is why uh, young teams need veteran leadership. You know what I mean? Like he, even though Aaron Gordon, you know, could be considered a vet, he's still he's still pretty young. And you have this guy who has a wealth of knowledge. He's been on so many different teams. He's been in so many different situations. And he was still able to pull, you know, a guy who's like 27, 28 years old to the side and and correct him on some things and help him to achieve greater success. So imagine what, what he could do with a bunch of 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds, which is like all we had on the Houston Rockets the past few years. So I'm you guys married? Wait. Are you guys married? Yes. I am. How about Vader, you married? No. no okay, so give you an off-the-court uh, example here, a little love here. So when you're a young man and you're two or three years into your marriage, you know, you think you know everything as a husband, right? You think <laughs> yeah. you know everything. You know, nobody has to tell you anything. All of a sudden, you come upon a situation where you need some advice. Who do you go to? Who do you go to? Yeah. Dad or uncle, right? Yeah. You go to dad or uncle. Absolutely. Right? That's the same thing. You look at the Rockets locker room, it's the same example. You know, when they come into a situation they don't know anything about, they call him uncle, just like with the Astros. Who's the uncle on that squad? Say his name. Michael Brantley. Brantley. Uncle Michael Brantley. (laughs) Who do they go to when they need advice, when they need help? Uncle Mike. So that's the same situation. Rockets didn't have it. They got it now. You know, you mentioned Jeff Green. uh, Perfect example of a guy who can certainly help the young guys and they will listen because what he has a ring. Yeah. He's got a ring. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I'm glad you brought up about bringing in players that, you know, they're going to listen to, but players that can actually still play because I mean, the Rockets had people like Boban and they had other veterans on the team, but if they're not really playing a lot, I mean, they may like them as people, but how much, like you said, how much are they going to really listen to them if they're not really on the court? And I think that definitely makes a big difference having Fred Van Vliet and having a, a Jeff Green, you know, players that have been there can still contribute and that they will actually listen to. Because I know a lot of times coaches like having coaches on the floor and that's something the Rockets haven't really had because we know Eric Gordon, he, you know, he's been there, he's done that, but he's not really a vocal type of leader. And I think that Fred Van Vliet is definitely that type of person where he has no problem you know, telling somebody if they're doing something wrong. And that's that's something that the young guys really need. Um, but one other free agent sign I want to ask you about, something that's kind of, you know, either love it or hate the deal is Dylan Brooks. Um, what did you think of that signing? And do you think he's somebody that can kind of turn around his reputation and is somebody exactly like the Rockets need, a tough defensive-minded uh, player that will do all the dirty work on the team? Did you see my slight reaction just a moment ago? <laughs> Yeah, my reaction when I first saw this, you know, I have to I have to go on air and yeah. talk about, you know, all these transactions with the Rockets. I do it every day. Uh, he called LeBron old. You know, that's that just during the playoffs. That was a <laughs> And what did LeBron give him? 40. That yep. same night, you know, so the next night, I believe. So, 
you got to be careful about that. But I think uh, playing for a guy like Emi Adoka, I, I, I think Emi will be able to, and John Lucas and the rest of the coaches, and I love the assistant coaches that they brought in. And yeah. one of them is Royal Ivy, you know, who yeah. was a star at Texas, and, and they brought in some other guys. Uh, I, I think the most important thing for him to do is to regain who he was before calling LeBron old. Yeah, I think he can he can develop he can develop a reputation now. He can start anew. Sometimes guys just need a fresh start, and if he listens, uh, I think he can get that fresh start here. Don't talk, just go out and play. Yeah, some guys just need to talk because that's what they do. Yeah. It gets them up, you know. It gets them up for games. It gets them up against uh, very very tough opponents, and the talking. You know, that's that trash talking. That's that's just part of the game. But I think you have to be careful, you know, to whom you direct that trash talk. You know, <laughs> you, you can't you can't direct that trash talk, you know, to a Hall of Famer. You can't do that, yeah. especially a guy like LeBron. I don't care how old he is, 37, 38, 39, 45, doesn't matter. Tom Brady, you don't want to talk trash to Tom Brady. Not even now. You know, so yeah. you kind of have to be very, very careful uh, to whom you direct the trash talk. But I think he has a chance to build a reputation here. He's a big guy, 6'7", about 220, 225, 230. He could be phenomenal as a defensive player. I won't say defensive player of the year, but with that body, if he comes in in shape and he's really ready to play and take coaching, he could be a very, very special player on that squad. I think he kind of messed up, too, when he went to the media with that, like, you know, you can you can talk trash to guys on the on the court, but I think uh, the public perception of him kind of changed a little bit when he, you know, said, he said all that in front of a camera, and then you know, when, when, once you do that, you know, it becomes a story. And and I think LeBron took offense to that, and you could tell by the way he played, the way he played against him after that, like it definitely um, ended up hurting his team in the long run. So yeah, he did. Watch that. Yeah. It really did. It hurt the Memphis Grizzlies. I think they took a, a step back. You know, along with what was happening with Job, but I think you know when you when you look at what happened with the Grizzlies, yeah. And so you you saw what happened. Well, you saw what the Grizzlies did, right? They they let him go. They cut him. So I mean, yeah, he became a distraction there. Yeah, time. yeah. When you become bigger than the team, you know, you got to go. And and the Memphis Grizzlies, they had an opportunity, you know, to advance. And because of that, you know, you when you become a distraction, it, it, it's really really tough. So as long as he doesn't do that here, again, just play. Right. So what I'm hoping he does, like you said, go back to just being that um, on on the court irritant. You know, like you love those guys when they're on your team. You hate them when they're on other teams. We have Patrick Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so that's what I envision for him. And and even even like going back, like you did earlier, we have Vernon Maxwell. I don't think he was very well liked around the NBA, but we love Vernon Maxwell. Vernon Maxwell was like a lot of our, our favorite players because. He didn't back down from anybody. He was tough as nails, and he would go out there and he would hit big shots. And so, uh, and Patrick Beverly, like we said, was, was the same way. So I'm hoping Dylan Brooks can come in and kind of add that toughness on the floor. You know, not back down to people, but like you know, let's keep it in you know in between the lines on the court and not be a distraction to the team. He needs to call Vernon Maxwell. Let me tell you something, Vern. The one thing about Vern, Vern was also a great quote with the media post game. He yeah. talked. He would talk. He never backed away from a mic. You know, what he was on the court was completely different than what he was in the locker room and what he was off the court. Great guy off the court. Uh, great guy in the locker room following the game. Now, you don't want to go to him immediately. There was a 10-minute cooling off period right back in the day. There was a 10-minute cooling off period. They increased yeah. it to 20 minutes to give those players a little more time. Their, their, their uh, minds, you know, right. But, you know, Great interview in the post game. This is what Dylan Brooks is going to have to be. He's going to have to become a media darling because right now the perception of Dylan Brooks is we don't want that guy on our squad. Yeah. You know, unless he's the players don't feel that way. The players are like, we love this guy because of what he is. He's a, he's a, as you mentioned, he's an irritant. You know, he's an opposition irritant. But, you know, in terms of, the media, he's going to have to build that rapport with the media. He's got to learn how to do that. And if he learns how to do that and becomes a media darling, he's going to be all right. They're going to love him. 
They're going to love him a whole lot. Yeah. yeah, I think Rockets fans will love him as soon as he's diving on the floor or being an irritant to Steph Curry on the court. I think he'll fit in <laughs> fit in pretty quickly after he does something like that. Because, of course, like I was saying, it's all about also backing it up on the court. Because I think yeah. if he would have actually had a good game, because he had a horrible game the last right. couple of games. If he had a right. good game and you talk, that's a different story. But you can't go out there and let LeBron get a triple-double and then you're three for 20 from the field. That's just right. not going to help your case nope. at all. Uh, well, a couple other players I want to ask you about on the current team. I just want to kind of get your opinion on. Uh, one is Alper and Shangoon. We all know that they went hard at the, after Brook Lopez. What their thoughts of? I'm I'm assuming they wanted Brook Lopez to start. Um, but what do you want to see from Shangoon going forward, and how do you think Ma is going to use him um, in this upcoming season? Let me be reasonable. Say 14 and 12. That's what I want. 14 and 12. I'd say 16 and 10. But I think 16, it, for a big man to go 16, uh, your point guard, your two or your three, you know, you want them to be 18 to 20 if you can yeah. get 18 to 20. But if you can get 16, 14, 14, 12 a night from Shingun, I think you're in good shape. I mean, he's really going to have to be that guy. Uh, Jabari Smith, those guys are going to have to play well with him. Uh, if if that is is what is reasonable, and I think that's 14, 12 is reasonable, not 16, 10, 14, and 12. I think he can give you 16 and 10 a night. 14 and 12, I say that because he needs to work hard on the boards. That's part of the problem. Rockets get dominated in the paint against other yeah. teams, especially against guys like Embiid, you know, and, and other guys who are, are extremely big. San Antonio is going to be a thorn in their butt this year, I think. Uh, Wimbayama only scored nine points last night. Didn't have a big night, you know. Yeah. And, and I think he said on social media, uh, "I've got to learn the NBA." It was a yeah. basically, I'm and I'm, I'm sort of summarizing it for you. It was a learning experience for him. What do you expect? It's your first game, young fella. Your first <laughs> game in the NBA. You know they're gonna try to school you a little bit. So oh, I mean, yeah. I, I think uh, in the league long enough now to understand what he needs to do night in, night out against guys who play games a year yeah. and so you got to act like you're going to play 82 games a year that's why I say 14 and 10 is reasonable you're not going to get six, excuse me 14 and 12 you're not going to get 16 18 20 a night from him but I think you can at least get you know 14 and, and, and 12 I think that's reasonable yeah yeah I think that's all they really going to expect from him I think also just improvement on his defense I just think M.A. is going to use him in a better way than like last year the Rockets put him in a lot of drop coverage which we know just did not work for Alper and Shangoon and you know you're not expecting Shangoon to go out there and guard people like Draymond but you definitely want to see improvement on the defensive end because I think that's one of the reasons why they wanted to bring Brooke Lopez in because they wanted kind of that uh, person that can protect the rim and well, we saw at that time Shangun can protect the rim, but then, you know, that's not going to be his main part of his game. He just needs to improve overall on defense and just kind of be in the right spots. And like you said, he may is definitely going to make sure if, if you're not playing defense, you're probably not going to play. I think that kind of goes for every single player on the team. I don't think anybody's immune from that at this point because nobody on the Rockets is a superstar to where they can kind of demand that respect yet. So I think having M.A. will make a kind of a huge difference when it comes to their defense. I want to go back to Dylan Brooks, you know, yeah. the, the, and, and I want to talk about something the Rockets weren't great at doing, taking charges. You know, yeah. you, you got to have a, you got to have a tough guy who can take charges. Is Dylan Brooks going to be that guy who takes the charges? I mean, you want to reestablish yourself, you know, in, in a market like Houston, you want to reestablish yourself in the NBA. You got to be tough. You got to yeah. take some charges. He's got the kind of body. To be able to do that, and if the Rockets are going to play great defense, they're going to have to step out of their comfort zone and not just try to defend everybody who's great. Occasionally, you're going to have to be able to see the play on the floor a little bit better and take those charges, generate some fouls against that other team so that you can put those superstars, you can make those coaches take them out of the game a little sooner than they would like. That team cannot get comfortable going to the basket every time. You talk about Alper and Shingun. This is a guy who needs to understand how to start blocking shots. With his height, he needs to be a better, I'd say, at least two. If you can average two to three a night blocks, you're doing something. And then you got a guy who can take some charges. 
Now you're not just playing defense. You're not just trying to guard or defend every great player. You're adding a couple of things to the repertoire of defense that maybe you didn't think about that you didn't want to, didn't do, and have not done over the past two to three years. Tell me a player on that squad who's taking charges that you can actually say has a reputation for taking charges. Uh, I mean, no, nope. I mean, I'm waiting. I mean, possibly Eason. He's definitely somebody I think that can, you know, develop that reputation because he's willing to do that type of stuff. But yeah, they don't have a lot of players on a team like what he may have in Boston, where he had, you know, players like Marcus Smart, who absolutely would, I mean, sometimes flopping, but he would take a charge one way or another. Yeah, the Rockets don't have a lot of those type of players. And I know that's something that he may definitely likes is those hard nosed type of players that are willing to do that dirty work. Old school basketball. Hold on. Before you old school basketball, do you remember the guy who took a lot of charges in the Western Conference who played for the Utah Jazz, who was in the Hall of Fame right now, who took charges and did and flopped? I just I just gave you a clue. I just gave you the clue. Who was that guy? Well, you said flop, so it has to be Stockton, all right? Carl Malone. Oh, both of them, yeah. All yes, both of them. Both of them. John Stockton was famous for flopping, but Carl Malone also a flopper. So Dylan Brooks can be that guy, yeah, and and that's who he can. He won't be the scorer, that obviously not. You know, he won't be the scorer that Carl Malone was, but he can be that that guy for the Rockets. I do know one thing that I that I have noticed about Dylan Brooks. He's good at communicating defensively, yeah. and that made me think of earlier how you was how you said Otis Thorpe would sometimes help the other players be in the right positions. Yep. And so Dylan Brooks is, is 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 a vocal leader on the defensive end. I, I've watched a few videos uh, where he's been mic'd up or whatever, and he he gets on some of those guys when they're not where they're supposed to be. And I think that is going to help a guy like Shingun, who who may not be in the right position. You know what I mean? And so yeah, like if, if he can do some of those things and bring that to the team, you know maybe we can uh, pick up some more charges just by guys just being in the right position. You ignited you ignited a thought. Back in the day, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna say this word. Every NBA team had this, and it started with an E and ended with an R. Enforcer. Yeah. Old school basketball called for every team to have an enforcer. And if you stop and think about it, you can probably remember who that enforcer was for those teams. The Rockets didn't have an enforcer last year. Yeah, they really didn't. If you stop and think about it, you four last didn't have an enforcer. They have an enforcer now. Your guard, hell, Calvin Murphy was an enforcer for the Rockets <laughs> way <laughs> back in the day. Little short Calvin Murphy, we love you. We love you, Calvin. You know that. Yeah. We love you, bro. But I'm telling you, now you have that guy. You have the enforcer. Man, Dylan Brooks has a chance to be, and I'm sure Emi Adoka. I'm sure, and I'm glad you said that, uh, Bader. You know, he has a chance to be huge here. He really does. By doing what we call the dirty work, but still being the guy who people can see as a leader, defensive leader, enforcer on that squad. He could be that dude. And I think just just his presence alone, I think he's going to help. Like, Tyree Eason has amazing instincts on defense. But let him play offense, too, though. Yeah. And so I'm thinking that like because but he's he's very raw. So I'm thinking like having a guy like Dylan Brooks, you know, to play in conjunction with you and to learn from same with Jabari. You know, like I I, I think um like we talked about earlier, just adding some of these guys who, who've been there and done that and have a little bit more experience is really going to like raise the level. It's going to raise, uh you know, I don't know what the expectations in the room were last year, but I can guarantee you they're going to be much higher this year. And so Dylan Brooks is going to be out there competing defensively every night. And he's not going to – He's. I, I, I just pretty much know he's not going to be okay with other guys not working as hard as he's working on defense. Got to be careful, though, how you communicate that. Yeah. yeah. You know, if, you, if you're Dylan. He, he's got to. I mean, somebody's got to get in his head and tell him, Dylan, we love it. You know, we, we love the fact that you want to be the communicator defensively on the squad. Just watch how you do it. You know, be very, very careful. And sometimes, man, you got to take the gloves off, you know, especially with a, lo- a young team. Yeah. Sometimes you have to take the gloves off and you have to be that, that guy that people don't like. But if that's going to be the case, make sure it's people on your squad. They don't like the way you talk to them, but they love it because you're winning. Yeah. You know, and, and, and if you're winning and you're successful, 
because one of your teammates is on your butt, but he's showing you love. And that's what I mean. You got to show a guy love. When you criticize him, you got to show a guy love. I remember in junior college, we had a guy on our squad, and this, this is a very quick story. His name was Michael Sims. He was six foot three, 220 pounds. He played receiver. He played my position. I would tell my, I was probably one of the only guys who could talk to Mike because Michael was a little unruly. I wouldn't criticize Mike, but I would tell him, Mike, you know, if you had done that, that would have happened. And he could see it. He could visualize it. So I was the only one who could really talk to him. It's the same thing. And his coaches, it's the same thing with these guys. You want to be able to communicate to your players and you want them to listen to you. Dylan Brooks is in position to have players listen to him charge by being that guy who's going to defend one of the best offensive guys on the opposition he can be that if he's successful i'd say three out of every four because you're not going to be great all 82 but you can certainly be great two of every four 50 percent of the games if you can be great that's not bad that's asking a lot but that's not bad if you can if you can be that so when you when you I, I think when you look at the numbers, fifty percent, eighty two games. If the Rockets can win forty one games this year, with everybody doing their part, that's not a bad season. When you look at what they did last year, was that about a twenty game improvement? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. if you if, yeah if if you look at that twenty game improvement with a new head coach. And guys you're bringing in now and the draft and some defensive players, defensive-minded players, who all they do is focus on defense. You talked about Tyree Eason, Bader. I think Tyree is a guy who can give you some good points and some good rebounds and some good assists. I think that's who he is. Let him kind of focus on his offense a little bit more, and he can be that guy too. So that's kind of the way I see that. Uh, in regards to in regards to what the Rockets can do defensively and what they can do offensively, they do that forty one games, forty one win season. Heck, thirty eight, thirty nine wins. Um, it's not a bad season uh, for them when you look at the turnaround. But the following year, you kind of have to do what the championship Rockets did. You know, you you have a ninety what was it ninety ninety one? They were on the cusp ninety two yeah. fifty two. What they do in 93, 94, 95? Well, 94, 95, they won championships. But you could see the ascent because they had the right players in place and the right coaches. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you brought up just talking about the draft picks before we, you know, end the show. I want to ask you about, of course, Amin Thompson. And what's kind of been your opinion over him just overall, what you saw when he played at OTE, um, some of the stuff you saw last night. What's kind of your overall opinion on him, though he's not going to play anymore this summer league, more than likely? But what do you expect from him coming up this upcoming season, knowing that he's not necessarily probably going to be starting, uh, but he's still going to have a pretty big role even with Fred Van Vliet here? I think uh, – let me put it this way. If, if he was a starter, I would say running for rookie of the year. Yeah. If he was a starter. If he's not a starter, depending on the role they have him in, I'm not quite sure what to say. I, I think he could probably – see, it's going to be hard. Once you establish your starting lineup, unless a guy has an injury, it's going to be hard for him to come in and replace someone during the course of the season. That's not yeah. what you want to do, you know, if, if you're in the Adoka. You you kind of want to start – with the starting lineup and end with that same starting lineup, if you can, unless the guy's just playing out of his mind, you know, in that position, in that given position. If the guy's playing out of his mind, coming off the bench in that given position, but coming off the bench might be what he does best. Yeah. So you allow him to grow. But, you know, you, you know if you pick four, you're supposed to start. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, yeah. if you're pick four, you're supposed to start unless something precludes that, like an injury or maybe, you know, between the years, we're not where we need to be between the years. But Amin Thompson doesn't impress me as a guy who's not ready to go mentally. Yeah. I think he's a guy who's ready to go mentally. Don't forget about Cam. I think Cam is another guy I really want to see him do well because he's been what? Underestimated his entire life. And this is a guy who probably should have been drafted earlier, 
but didn't go until 20. Does he not have a Houston-sized chip on his shoulder? <laughs> I would. I would if I were him. So I think he's another one. I'm not sure if he's going to be a late bloomer or if he's going to be a guy. And if you remember in the press conferences when these guys were drafted, what did Rafael Stone say? We feel like, Adoka as well, uh, as well, we feel like these guys can come in right now and play 30 minutes a game. Did he not? Yeah. So these are guys who we're expecting a lot from right now, but hopefully the injury won't hurt uh, a young draft pick. Absolutely. And uh, before I wrap the show, I actually want to ask you one more question. I kind of yes, go back and talk about your career. Who's like one of the, who do you think is like your favorite? I know it's probably kind of hard to round it down when you, when you interviewed as many people you have. But who are some of the favorite people that you've interviewed over the oh. years or talked to, you know, at different times throughout your career? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> like uh, I, said, I know it's been a lot. <laughs> that's a tough one. Um, well, I've been in the business for 34 years now, yeah. so that's a tough one. I, that, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, Lashard. That that's that's <laughs> tough, man. I, you know, there've been so many. I I, yeah. I will tell you. Um, so so this is very simple, but you know, and, and you know, of course, you know, working in media, we're we're gonna we're gonna be exposed to a lot. Yeah, and the exposure is tremendous. What we get, and and I've had a lot of it. But back in 1992, uh, when uh, when Michael Jordan and the Bulls came to town to play against, you know, Max and the Rockets, in the post-game press conference, Sports Illustrated, that's when Sports Illustrated was really, really big, they had a gaggle, and they used to call it something else back in the day, but they, we had a gaggle of reporters around Michael Jordan. And my hand was positioned prominently <laughs> On this photo on the cover of Sports Illustrated, along with the 740 mic. And so I'll never forget that. In fact, I still have that Sports Illustrated. I can't just grab it and show it to you, but but I remember that. Yeah. That was probably because of you know, my career was young. I just started in 89 and this happened in 92. And I'm like, oh, you know, here I am already on Sports Illustrated. I wasn't on Sports Illustrated, but my hand, Your hand was there. Hand, <laughs> the hand you know, with the mic was on Sports Illustrated. So yeah. I would have to say that Mike, uh, obviously Michael Jordan, uh, was was one of the uh, great interviews. But man, I've I've had so many. I I hate to single them out. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yesterday I did a sit down one on one with uh, the great JJ Watt. You know, and so oh, yeah. yeah, yesterday. So there there have been so many dust. You know, I've had you know one on ones, but did so many great ones, man. So I, I don't I don't really want to single them out if if I can't. But but the hand. The handmade Sports Illustrated. That was a lot of fun, you know. The hand yeah. of the mic. Oh, I wasn't, but that's my hand. That's my hand. <laughs> that's about it. Hey, hey, that's more than a lot of people can say. So that's definitely something. <laughs> yeah, it was so much fun. So much fun. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Great career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we and again, you know, we we appreciate you coming on. We can have a whole show just talking about old school Houston sport, which we should definitely do at some point. Um, because like I said, I can talk, you know. 90s especially 90s houston sports i can talk about that for hours yeah. so man we yeah. appreciate you coming on nate um and, and again can you just let everybody know uh where they can you know see you every single day every single day you can find me uh between 4 a.m and 10 a.m for those of you who wake up at four you can find me on fox 26 i'm the morning sports anchor on fox 26 uh, I also do Rice football, which is probably why you see, you know, the Rice Owls and yeah. Rice behind me. Uh, I do Rice football. I'm the color analyst for Rice football. I'll be going up to my 16th season. Oh, wow. The color analyst for Rice football. Uh, and I also uh, do some uh, basketball on ESPN uh, during the basketball season, so you can find me there. But but generally, uh, Fox 26 in the mornings between 4 and 10. I've got your sports. I've got you covered. And you can you can tweet me. Uh, all, all times of morning doesn't matter because I'm. If I don't hit you right back, it's because I'm real busy. Yeah. But I guarantee you, I will hit you back at some point. And I'm everywhere in the city. I'm all over the city, so you can find me just about everywhere. But turn the television on when you wake up at eight. You know, because a lot of y'all don't wake up before eight o'clock. A lot of y'all wake up, you know, and, and some people do. They, yeah. wake up, they tell me a lot of them tell me they wake up at five and they catch me and I'm like okay well keep watching this yeah. you know the morning sports or you know that, that's what we do and it's a little bit of a different concept 
but it's worked. Once we started it, uh, what, eight, about seven, eight years ago, it's worked out really well. Don't forget about making the grade and, and player of the week and all those things. Yeah. Friday football fever, when the football season starts, you know, you can find us there. So there you have it. Yeah, like Lashar said, thank you so much. You have like an invaluable like wealth of knowledge, you yeah. know, because you've been in this uh, industry for so long. And I, I'm sure you just have thousands of stories, <laughs> like really great stories. So um, thank you for taking the time out of your day to come hang out with us. Thank you. You guys have a great platform and I appreciate what you're doing in terms of being able to continue uh, what, you know, a lot of the guys before me and me started, you know, one of those guys before me, Ralph Cooper, he's, he's a great yeah, one. Absolutely. And, yeah. and of course, you know, he's, you talk about wealth of knowledge. If you sit down and you put a mic in front of him, he won't stop talking. You know, I mean, your, you know, your podcast will go for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> you know, but for me, you know, it'll go maybe an hour or two. You know, yeah. but I can tell you, you know, there there have been uh, great coaches and great people who've allowed me to ascend and, and those sportscasters before me who took the bullet, you know, in my place. And I appreciate what they've done. And I appreciate you guys taking the bullet and moving it forward. So anytime we can be of assistance, uh, please give us a holler. Thank you. And I'm, I'm glad that your audience was patient enough to, to listen to what we had to say this morning. Thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And me just starting off and, you know, you know, doing, you know, media thing. I definitely appreciate the foundation that you laid, you know, for decades. So uh, it's definitely an honor having you on. Again, I appreciate you, you know, joining us today. Thank you very much for the time. I appreciate it, guys. It was an honor. Vader, yes, get sir. married, man. Get married. <laughs> He's like, married, uh... <laughs> They're after you, Vader. No sense in evading them. Oh, man. That's a whole different story, man. It's a different podcast. That's a different podcast, huh? I love, I love the needle of the young guys, man. I really do. I love the needle a little bit. You guys are great, man. Love being around you. I I appreciate it. We definitely appreciate it. And that's going to do it for today's show. Usually, we appreciate everybody that supports us every single week. Uh, Vader, my co-host, again, thank you for joining. I appreciate you for having me on, as always. And um, I have a feeling we're we're probably going to have to uh, do some more stuff real soon. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, we will have a lot more coverage coming up as the Rockets have, of course, more summer league games coming up. And uh, then they have a little bit of a break, and then we're going to go into uh, training camp. So uh, make sure you check us out all offseason. As usual, we appreciate all the support on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. So make sure you check out the next episode of Rocket Fuel Podcast.